Welcome to the Orange County Catholic Radio Show. Each week, we bring you compelling conversation with church leaders and laity, talking about the things going on in our diocese and discussing the important issues that impact the world around us. We're coming to you from our studios on the campus of Christ Cathedral in Garden Grove, where Catholic faith is crystal clear. Here now to introduce our guest and today's topic is your host, Rick Howick. And welcome to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today is Marcos Lichens. And Marcos is here today because of a project that began really in the Los Angeles area, but has taken form as well here at the campus of Christ Cathedral in Orange. And it has to do with honoring those who have passed on from COVID. But before we begin, Marcos, if you'd be so kind, would you please open us with a brief word of prayer? I'd like to bless all the souls that have departed in the last few months to COVID. It's been such a hard time for all the families, so I'd like to bless them and all the loved ones that have suffered in this time. Amen. Amen. And we ask all of you who are listening to uh, continue to pray for all of those who are suffering, both those who have passed on and those who have lost loved ones. This, of course, for those of you who have gone through that process, know how horrible a time it has been, not simply because of the loss of each individual person, but the ways that have been imposed upon people to endure that loss have been horrible. People that have been isolated in their hospitals, unable to receive even even the sacraments or visitations, and the grief that so many people have. There has been a, a real desire by our community to find ways to express that grief in a way that is both honoring of those who have gone on, but also of hopeful uplift. And one of the things that has taken shape is a memorial that we now have at the Diocese of Orange that didn't really originate here. It actually originated with Marcos. And that's kind of where I, I want to move now is to asking Marcos, what can you tell us about this Rose Memorial that we now have here at the Diocese of Orange? What is this? So it's called the Rose River Memorial. And the uh, idea is to honor every single person that died from COVID in the United States. And the way that we're doing that is we're making one rose for each person who's passed away. And when I say we, the community is making the roses, and I'm orchestrating the project. So it's it's actually a project that's made in the community and by the community. And what we have in Orange County at the Christ Cathedral in the small gallery is the shrine or memorial for all the victims of COVID that have passed away in Orange County. And that those number about 4,600, actually a little bit more now since the installation started about three weeks ago. And the installation originated in the Orange County Museum of Art, which helped give out these rose-making kits. And then the community came together, picked up the kits, and then we did an online uh, Zoom video, showed how to make the roses, and shared stories of grief and, and about all the things that have been going on in these times of COVID. And then about a week later, they brought the roses back, all these different people, um, uh, senior citizens, uh, 
students, school kids, Girl Scouts, all sorts of people brought the roses back and then we mounted them on, on netting, on fishing nets that I get from San Pedro in the harbor near L.A. And then we set up the installation at Orange County Museum of Arts for, for a week. We set it up outside so it could be viewed um, safely. And then after a week, we took it down and then we transferred it uh, to the Christ Cathedral, which is where it's at now. So for those of you who have been to the cathedral grounds here before, this is located where? The small gallery, which is the set of buildings that was designed by Richard Neutra. Um, and so that is uh, near parking lot seven and I think parking lot five. And it's outdoors, although it's kind of behind glass. And um, it has a very beautiful position there um, with a beautiful courtyard. I suppose if you're familiar with the cathedral, it's where the, the gold bells, there's a tower that goes up, so it's opposite the tower. Okay, so the tall tower that has the cross on it, that's at the one end of a kind of a grassy area with a pond, and there's a statue of Jesus walking on the water. This is located at the other end near the parking lot. Is that correct? Exactly. Okay. Yep. So there is a display area out there that actually kind of looks like you're in the building, but you're not. You're Actually, it's an outside area, but it has a shelter of kind of a glass on it. And so people who arrive at that area back there or anyone who comes and goes along that grassy area, they'll be able to see this display. When they look at this display, what is it they're going to see? Because unfortunately, we're on radio. <laughs> what is it they're looking well, at? Yeah, all the roses are red. So they're looking at 4,600 roses that are arrayed wow. on this netting. And there are also some, some photographs of community members. Um, who've passed away, for instance, like Paul um, Burciaga, who was born on July 14th, 1964, and died on November 15th, 2020. There's also, let's see, Ana Burciaga Castro as well, who passed away on February the 2nd, 2021, at 58 years old. I mean, horrendously young, basically, for uh, yeah. just awful. Yeah. But, I mean, I don't want to go into too much of it, but there, there, there's some... Apart from the roses, there's some um, memorialization through photographs of community members, and there's some messages from past family members. And so, so it's a kind of a way to can memorialize with stories and images, but also the, the roses uh, represent all the other people that haven't been um, memorialized. There's also a police left, lieutenant, lieutenant. I, I'm from England, so we say lieutenant. But <laughs> You're lieutenant allowed. <laughs> who, who, yeah, who, who also passed away. Sadly, so there's also people from all different parts of the community that were memorialized. The lieutenant, the lieutenant was uh, John Reynolds, um, who passed away on January 17th of this year. So this, when people then come and see this, if they were to come to visit this, there's an area out in front of that area, if I'm remembering right, that has like a patio area. So they could even yeah. come and spend some quiet time. Yeah, there's some benches there that, that are very comfortable and they're in the shade. So it's a very nice kind of meditative spot where you can uh, reflect. This sounds like a, a wonderful idea. We have a, a, a place here now at the Diocese of Orange for people who have lost someone, especially in the Diocese of Orange. But really, uh, you were mentioning this is for everywhere. I want to come back to that in a minute. But for anybody who's in the Orange area who've lost a loved one, someone has made a rose for your loved one, at least up through the last week or two. And 
that their representative roses in that bunch when you come and, and take a look at this display. And it's a, it's a place where you can come and, and grieve, which is an important part of our humanity. What a wonderful idea to be able to do that. Tell me a little bit, Marcos, what is it that your, your goal was for this? You said this was to memorialize everyone, really. Is this something that you're doing elsewhere then? Well, uh, yeah, on, on March the 1st, which was the same day that we um, started the installation in Orange County at the Orange County Museum of Art, we also did a memorial or a shrine, uh, I suppose, in St. Louis at the University of Minnesota, St. Louis. And we also did one in southeast Texas, which is uh, in the Rio Grande Valley, where, where there's been a lot of um, deaths down there. So uh, the idea is to um, create more memorials across the United States. Uh, right now I'm working on one in Kansas City, one in Topeka. We're going to have one at the state capitol in a couple of weeks there. And um, I'm also working on one in Dallas and one in Hawaii. And the idea is to propagate these memorials across the United States and ending up with a large-scale memorial in Washington, D.C., hopefully along the mall sometime next year, probably. Wow. So the idea behind this, then, is to not only be able to come and grieve for your individual loved one, it is also to know that the people who have passed on because of this horrible pandemic, that they're being remembered as part of the the entire group of people who have died during this time. What a, a wonderful way to be able to memorialize people. What gave you this idea? I, th- I think what, one of the things that preoccupied me was, I mean, luckily I haven't had a very close family member pass away from COVID. But I, and I think, you know, obviously a lot of people have had family members that have passed away from COVID. But there's also been a lot of us who've kind of sat on the sidelines and we haven't been able to kind of show support. So I think I think by bringing the community together to make roses, we've shown that together we can grieve, we can help heal, and this can all be done together. It's not just a problem that's, that's happened to in certain families um, across the U.S. So I think that was the original motivation. That's a fantastic motivation because, as you know, one of the main issues for people that are that are going through this still. Here in California, especially, we're one of the states that has taken a strong lockdown approach to how to solve this. The the benefit, of course, is it limits some of the interactions that people have, which is also its its downfall. It it means that we're isolated. And people who are suffering often, I, I think, must feel that they're suffering alone or they're isolated alone. They are not able to have any companionship, any any camaraderie, any solidarity with anyone else. And just being able to come and look at this memorial, it's a way of reminding everybody that, no, you're not alone. And while we may not be able to get together, it's not because we don't care. We do care. Come look. And it's a very beautiful thing to be able to to see. When we come back, I want to ask Marcos a little bit more about uh, himself and where he's come from in his journey and where this this project uh, is going we were just mentioning it's it's going his plan is to go throughout the united states with this uh, how he plans to do that and how this fits into the vision that he has for art uh, you're listening to orange county catholic radio i'm rick howick your host with me today is marcos lichens and we'll be right back 
Reflections from Father Al Baca, Director for Evangelization and Faith Formation in the Diocese of Orange, California. Here's a brief clip from Father Al's guest appearance on Empowered by the Spirit with Deacon Steve Greco. I love what Mother Teresa says. She says, we are called to be faithful. We are not called to be successful. It is Jesus that gives us the success. Right. She told me that. I met her once. And, oh, wow. And she said that to me. So that Seriously? really resonates with me. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Tell us more about that. That was uh, back when I was a seminarian for the Diocese of Orange. And she came to Long Beach to do a prayer, wow. uh, a rosary rally. Wow. And it was packed, of course. And she talked about abortion and life. And it was beautiful. And having confidence in, in the mother of God. And afterwards, the seminarians, we had a, a moment to come in and just say hello to her. And uh, she gave us a, a miraculous medal, each one. And when she put the medal in my hand, she said, remember, you're not called to be famous. You're called to be faithful. Yeah. And, I, and I've always remembered that, too. It's, it's wonderful advice. For more, go to OCCatholic.com. That's OCCatholic.com. We need Catholic Radio because we need the voice of the church in the public forum. We live in a time that the secular voice dominates so thoroughly that we need to get that Catholic perspective out. Just as Fulton Sheen used radio and TV in the last century, we need to continue to use this means to announce the Catholic faith in the public forum. Bishop Robert Barron thinks Catholic Radio is important. So should you. Welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and with me today, we've been talking with Marcos Luchens, who is an artist out of the Los Angeles area, although actually, if you've been listening, you can tell by his accent, he actually comes from uh, from Great Britain. Marcos has been involved with art for quite some time, and part of what came from his reflection artistically about people who are grieving with COVID is this... River of Roses project that we see here now in full fruition at the Diocese of Orange. Marcos, tell us a little bit about your vision of art and how that has contributed to this this art memorial project. Yeah, I've been I've been uh, lucky as an artist to to have exhibited in major places like the Guggenheim Museum and the Royal Academy in London and, and a lot of different places around the world. But for me, art really doesn't necessarily reside inside art institutions per se. I think it, it resides in the hearts of, of the community. So uh, for me, this project with Rose River Memorial is, is uh, you know, very exemplary of the type of art that, that I'm really excited to um, bring out to the community. I find that my my main focus of my art is working with consciousness, which is a very broad topic. but I work a lot with uh, guided meditations and uh, trying to um, create harmony and peace um, in communities and also um, in our relationship with nature. And then to have uh, nature come up and bite us so badly, from from a human perspective anyway, with this this pandemic that has claimed so many lives, to have that impact on how you saw your community, I, I have to assume that had to be devastating for an artist who is so concerned about the consciousness of the people around him. Yeah, it's, 
it's also been a kind of bit of a wake up call, I think, and I'm hoping that all this, the, you know, the, the struggle that, that people have been through has brought communities together and has given us kind of time to think and pray about how to move forward, you know, as we emerge from this um, terrible situation. And, and, you know, hopefully through art and through our culture and through community and through the church, you know, we can recover uh, um, in a better way than how we started at the beginning, perhaps, but perhaps be a little more reaching out to people who are isolated, more helpful with community members and, and all that kind of thing. And I, I imagine a lot of people think that art is, you know, just paintings and sculptures that are put in galleries, but it's really about the, the, the heart and soul of uh, people. Without that, art has no value at all in my perspective. Well, and the funny thing is, when you when you go to museums to see art, it's almost as if you're looking at a at a scientific display of what's come before, as opposed to an experience of what is really in the heart of the of the artist. You, a display like this out in amongst the public at a public arena, where the arena itself takes part in the art display, that has to be so much more satisfying for the artist. I would think. I think it's important to, to I mean, I, I, I'm kind of pretty, have been pretty entrenched <laughs> deeply inside the art community, but I think it's a, it's time for the art community to, to reach back out and reach back into the community and, and, you know, make art more approachable. And, uh, I think there's no, no harm and no fear in doing that. I, I think just people have got caught in, in kind of, uh, routines. But I, I'd love to see that happen. And hopefully this project will, you know, be part of that movement. So how has this been received? Um, how did opening day go? Opening day was truly moving, kind of breathtaking too, because, I, you know, I, I wasn't that familiar with the, the Christ Cathedral. And, you know, every, every time I've been there, uh, I've just been amazed by the, the kind of buildings, the structures, the cathedral itself, but all these, also the other um, structures. And we were very honored to have um, Bishop Kevin Van blessed the installation, which is actually the first time one of my artworks or one of the an artwork <laughs> like this for me has been blessed by a bishop. And um, also um, Mayor of Garden Grove, Steve, Steve Jones, came and gave some words. And there was also council member um, Stephanie um, Kopstein and also the chief of police, Tom Daray, came um, to honor the lieutenant. And it was just really, um, it took my breath away. It was very moving too. It was, even though it was a kind of, let's say, a, an official function, there was a lot of emotion there almost. You know, I think people's um, eyes welled up with tears and uh, it was just very moving, very moving indeed. What's wonderful about this particular piece of art that you've got is that it's, as I said, it's it's a part now of that patio area so that it's a participatory thing where people can come in, especially those who have a tie to this pandemic. And, and all of us do from a, from a solidarity perspective, but there are so many that have been genuinely touched by, by loved ones and friends who have passed on. I, I don't know of anybody off the top of my head who hasn't had a loved one or a friend who has, uh, that, that they know has passed on. Uh, this has truly affected so many people. And to be able to have the artwork, as you said, opening day, bless, but it was really opening day. It wasn't like that was the day of the event. This is an event that's going on and allowing people to participate. 
It's got to be gratifying as an artist to know that your artwork is actually, in a way, kind of a performance art. It's continuing to go on. Does that resonate, what I just said, or how would you work with that that idea? Yeah, absolutely. It, 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 I mean, in that sense, too, it, you, you use the term actually quite correctly, that it is more related to performance art because it's it's about an experience, about something that we participate in. And in terms of participation, you can come and visit the shrine if you like, but you can also get involved in, in the project, too, because we're, uh, we need to make almost 600,000 roses, which is a very high target to reach that's um, a goal and so we it's, a, it's our goal yeah. um and we really want to um, reach that goal and so um what i'd like to do is to extend the invitation to the community members that are listening that if you'd like to take part in making roses is it okay if i yeah. mention the website by all means it's, please uh, do yes okay it's www.roseriver.memorial so www.roseriver, all one word, Rose River all one. Memorial. Roseriver.memorial. Roseriver.memorial, um, got it. Exactly. And um, on, on the website, there's instructions of, about how you can make roses yourself, and you can either buy the materials yourself or they can be acquired through the website. You can also do- donate if it's, if it's tricky to make roses, and um, it all goes you know straight um, into the project as we reach out and make these roses. And um, also, if, if there's a possibility that, that other dioceses may be um, interested in the project, that would be very gratifying because we'd like, you know, basically the Catholic community throughout the United States to participate in this memorialization. And I've been just the church, you know, takes on this, this task of helping people for, for centuries now, helping people with, with this transition to another world and to, and, and grief and all these things. And I, sometimes it's a kind of thankless task. And I'm just, when, when I think of all the stories that I've heard about people passing away and, you know, how the church, you know, helps people deal with these issues day in and day out, day out for years and years and years. It's, I, I just feel that it's, it's such a great collaboration between what we're doing and what the church brings to help heal and to help uh, grieve and to help just frame frame what life is and uh, transitioning as well. I would think that there are a number of people who have been isolated for so long that they're, they would love to be able to do something. And I know there are a lot of people who have been involved in, in arts and craft type things. There are a lot of people who crochet. I have a, a daughter with some special needs, and I know that she crochets. Those types of skills would be sufficient to be able to make a rose. Is that correct? Absolutely. The, the rose-making process is really simple. It's uh, on, uh, designed to be simple and easy for all sorts of different um, people to be able to make roses. It's basically you cut a circle out of a uh, piece of felt. The felt we like to use is eco felt. It's recycled. It's from recycled plastic bottles, and it's red felt. We use red felt um, because red rose is a symbol of courage and valor, and they're often used in, in funerals. And you just cut a circle, and you cut a spiral out. There's actually videos on, on the website, and you cut a spiral, and then you use some glue, and it kind of forms itself very easily in a minute or something like that. So again, for people who would like to be part of this project, not just to come in and uh, experience the display itself here at Christ Cathedral, 
they can actually participate in making roses that are going to go into other displays by going to your website. That website, again, was www.roseriver.memorial. Exactly, yeah. And they can then find all the information about how they can either donate, because you'll you'll take the money that's donated there, it's it's all going to the project, or they can learn from both the website and tutorials available on the website to how to to make and send in their roses. Exactly. They, they can also order order a kit too. Or order a kit. Want to. Yeah. Which would be just as simple. <laughs> Marcos, I want to thank you so very much for for taking some time. I know that you have been very involved in the art world for quite some time and this has got to be a very satisfying project for you. We're very thankful that you were willing to turn your efforts to be able to help everyone in the community. Uh, in doing so, is this the type of art then that you do into the future? Is this what you expect to be doing more more community based work? Well, most of my work involves working with the community, but I can't imagine a project that has this much social and community impact. I just, you know, unless have a huge <laughs> crisis like this, I think it's a hopefully a once in a lifetime. Uh, project, but it's not over yet. I, there's yeah. a long way to go. <laughs> the good the news, so, the good yeah. news is, we see some light at the end of the tunnel. We have uh, a lot of people being vaccinated, and hopefully, we will get through this. But your project is one to not only not forget the people who've passed on during this, but the people who are surviving with the memory of their loved ones, and this gives them an opportunity to participate. Marcos, again, thank you for doing this with us. When we come back, we are going to be talking to somebody who was involved with the project here at the cathedral itself. Marcos was the architect and artist behind this, and then it took a lot of people coming together to make it happen. And uh, when we come back, we'll be talking with Julie. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. Creating powerful moments on Orange County Catholic Radio. Here's host Rick Halleck. I can tell you a a story about a a guy who was at a parish I used to attend back in Hemet. His name was Jerry. Jerry was confined to a wheelchair. He was in his 80s. He couldn't talk anymore. He was a Baptist who had been married to his wife who was Catholic, and they had an agreement that he would take her and the children to the Catholic Mass, and then he would go on Wednesday nights to a Bible study for the Baptists. And Jerry had been going for years, and I saw him there sitting in the wheelchair, and he looked like he was enjoying himself while he was there. And I went up to him, and I asked Jerry, I said, hey, Jerry, you're a Baptist. Do you like being here with all of us doing this whole Catholic Eucharist thing? And he nodded his head enthusiastically and smiled at me. And I said, well, Jerry, if you ever want to become a Catholic, let me know. And he (laughs) nodded his head. Mm -hmm. I said, Jerry, are you saying you'd like to become a Catholic? And he nodded his head and began to cry. And I looked at his wife, who looked at me with these shocked eyes. I said, have you ever asked him? I said, not in years. And she came back with him the next week and signed me up as his sponsor. And he wanted to go through an abbreviated version mm-hmm. of RCIA. A couple of weeks later, he was brought into the Roman Catholic Church. And he died about three months after that as a, a Catholic. Mm-hmm. Now, from my perspective, he may not have ever come to that without going through the suffering he went mm-hmm. through, the silence that he dealt with, the confinement he had in his wheelchair, and yet the love, because he was now dependent. Yes. This most independent man mm-hmm. who was going to provide for his family 
now had been dependent for years on his wife and on the good people around him, he was dependent. Yeah. And that changed his life at the end. Mm -hmm. Why would we want to short-circuit that? For more, go to OCCatholic.com. That's OCCatholic.com. Or visit the Diocese of Orange Facebook page. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio. With me today has been two people. Marcos is, a, is, of course, the artist we were talking to about how this founded. We also have with us Julie Yep, who, and I hope I said your last name correctly, it's spelled D-I-E-P, but you were saying in the break that uh, in Vietnamese, the D is kind of pronounced more like a Y sound. Did I come close? No, you're you're perfect. Thank you so much, Rick, for having me on the show. Well, and thank it's a you. pleasure to be able to be here. Thank you so much for, for being here. Julie is the founder and president of the Orange County Autism Foundation, and you got involved with this because you've been so involved with the community here in Orange County, specifically the Vietnamese community, and we've got a number of things going on, but tell me a little bit, okay, We've already heard kind of the overall River of Roses idea from Marcos. How did this materialize in Orange County? Well, first of all, I had the opportunity to see um, Marcos' showcase in L.A. And um, with the thus of the challenges in Orange County, was there was some, some hard time accepting the COVID and, and sometimes that overshadow the losses that we had in Orange County. So I thought that it would be a great opportunity for us to bring this exhibit to Orange County and get the community more involved such that we can heal together and create this opportunity to visualize the, the magnitude and the losses that we have here. So how did it actually work? Were, were you part of the group that organized this or put this together? What did you do to help make this a reality here at the Diocese of Orange? So um, with OC Autism, uh, we help sponsor the event to bring it to the Archdiocese of Orange County. I am a resident of, or of, of Garden Grove for almost 20 years and been very active in the community. So I know we have, you know, direct relationship with our mayors and our police chief. And since we have those losses there, we thought it would be a great idea to coordinate all of this to um, bring it over to the community. So we were able to sponsor the event to bring um, all the key players in the community to come together and also publicize the event to get more of our community um, to participate in making these roses. And we made over 4,600 roses to represent the losses in Orange County alone. Wow. We were talking with Marcos a little bit about how this works really kind of as an ongoing performance art, really, where people are able to come to see this. And I had the, I've had the opportunity to look at it myself. From my window here at the studio, I can look out from the eighth floor and look down below on, on the, the grassy area. And in front of that is the building itself. And you can see from, from the radio studio, this beautiful, almost a, a box, but it's this large room that's both kind of a, a closed room and an open room. It's actually outside, but it's, it's kind of self-contained. And it's it's not only beautiful to see, but you've got people that stop by and there are benches to sit on where they can, those who've been affected by personal loss are able to come and remember and grieve. And as we were saying with Marcos a little bit, this has been so horrible partly because everyone feels isolated. And this is a wonderful visual to show people, no, 
you're really not alone in this. We are grieving with you. It's been hard because of the shutdown to show it, but here's a beautiful way to be able to do that. And so yep. it's absolutely gorgeous to be able to see what you've been able to do. So let me ask you, you said that you were involved with the autism community. Why was this so important to the autism community, not just the Vietnamese community that was, that's been involved with this? You know, specifically, a lot of people ask me, why is it that OC Autism uh, would want to host an event for COVID? And many times that when you hear in the news and you hear, see these, hear these numbers, many of us just see it as a number. But when you come here, you get to see the magnitude that these are each individual flower is, is a person. To us, autism is a, a person with, with autism or living with autism is a crucial member of the community. And many people don't realize that people with disability actually have an increased risk of death uh, with COVID. Uh, some research, research saying even, you know, four to six times more um, wow. because of intellectual deficits. So the numbers are, are staggering. But we, what we're hoping to do is raise that awareness that there are there should be more support for disability um, with with the pandemic, and as well as our underserved and minority communities. Let's talk a little bit about the autism and the link that's there. That's fascinating to me that you're saying that one of the highest hit group of people are those that have uh, intellectual deficits. Not everyone with autism, though, has uh, what you would call intellectual deficit, do they? No, there, there is. It depends on the research that you're looking at. Some research says that, you know, there's 10 percent, 30 percent or 40 percent. Uh, the 40 percent of people with autism are actually nonverbal. And there's a subset wow. of people with intellectual deficit. There's about 10 percent of those people with intellectual deficit who have autism. So the numbers out there, the crossover is very high. Okay. But um, for us, we see that each individual person and each individual spirit has their own value in the community. And a lot of people don't realize that OC, to us, and OC Autism Foundation does not stand for Orange County. It actually stands for our community. Oh, So we always <laughs> remind our community that our community is strongest when we come together to see each other's value and also to come together to to in in, in our our joint um, grief and our joint healing. Wow, that's very nicely said. Staying with autism for just a moment, I understand it's a there are a number of different manifestations of this on what some people have called the spectrum. Can you tell me a little bit about the types of of things we're talking about there? Because you're talking about a, a wide variety of of issues, right? Yes. The autism spectrum, and I appreciate you understanding that, Rick, is that, you know, there are people who, who, who some people call low functioning or nonverbal. And then the other terminology that most of us don't really like is called high functioning autism or what I call high verbal. Many people don't know that I have autism, Rick. Okay. So the nonverbal individuals or people who have a lot of repetitive behavior, that's what the, the, the community often sees as autism. And for those of us who are verbal and who what, what, what a lot of females have what is called masking, we kind of just fake being normal, but it's actually very exhausting to do that. So autism as a spectrum, there's not, whether you're low functioning or what they call high functioning, it does not tell you how much services and support you need. It just shows that there's a different type of support that you need. 
And that's what I would like to, t- to let the community understand okay. that, that that's a very important aspect of, of what the spectrum means. So when we're talking about autism, there are a number of different syndromes or names for different types of autism, and they range a lot. Um, Asperger's, for example, is that still considered an, an, an autistic type of condition? Yes, yes. With autism, Asperger is what we call the high, high verbal. So um, with autism, what it is is what combines us all is there's three deficits. Deficit in social communication, verbal communication, and a repetitive behavior. So some of us who are high verbal, we might have repetitive behavior, but we make it more productive. Like for me, I like to work. I like to clean up. I like to line up things. But I make it so functional. And so people don't, cannot see that as a disability of sorts. Right. But with those of us who are high verbal, we might have more OCD difficulties, anxiety, and depression. Yeah, I was um, that's ask called that. comorbidities. Yeah, I was going to ask that. This sounds a little bit like a mild form of OCD almost, but then you combine it with some of the verbal and social aspects, and you you end up with more of a comfortable, if that's the right term, diagnosis of autism is they're all kind of related think, in some ways yeah they're, they're all related they, they cross over and that's where um, the syndrome comes in so it basically brings it together and um, you know tying it back to the rose river memorial with the rose river memorial when many people go through grief and losses and it, and when they didn't have that that opportunity to say their final goodbye you know there's so many um, difficulties with that. So yeah. we know that depression and mental health or what we call mental wellness has been overlooked during this whole year. Wow. So part of this exhibit was for us to come to take an opportunity to come not to pay respect for the family that, that the individual or families that we've lost, but also to see um, the loss of our community and all of these individual community members who've been so integral and essential in our families. Wow. That was I hadn't seen the tie so closely, but it's like the light went on there. So from an autistic perspective, the idea of of not being able to comfortably work socially under some of the circumstances of grief, this is a way for the autistic community, perhaps especially, to be able to to encounter and engage this this whole event this whole um, pandemic from a yes. from a perspective that empowers those who have more difficulty. And, and so many people, it sounds like, because it's been so enforced that a lot of the people who have had, who've died of COVID have died away from their loved ones, um, virtually alone, sometimes without even the ability for religious people to come in contact with them because of the fear of, of the disease. And this is something that autistics have been living with their entire lives. Yes. And, you know, um, when we t- the main reason why I made a point of reaching out to the Archdiocese and having a, a blessed opportunity to partner up with the, the Christ Cathedral was that, you know, for me as a speech-language pathologist and an advocate for people with disability, I always promote medical treatment. But, I, but in addition to that, and, and more importantly, I always remind our families that in part of the healing, it's not really turning to our therapist or to medication alone, but recognizing the essential part of our spiritual guidance and our spiritual community in the healing process. 
So I think that's kind of why it was so important to me to have such a great opportunity to work with Marianne and with Bradley and everybody on your your team uh, who has been so gracious and so kind and just so warm in my interaction with them. I just already feel like I'm part of the family and I want to continue to support in any way that I can moving forward with the healing. Well, and we deeply appreciate that. When we come back, I, I want to ask a little bit more about how this has been personally engaged by you, Julie. We're talking with Julie Giep, who is the um, president and founder of the Our Community Autism Foundation. And we've been talking about actually how the autistic community in the Orange County area was able to partner in this project called the River of Roses Memorial. When we come back, I want to address a little bit more about how this has impacted uh, you, Julie, and how this can be something that the whole community can take better advantage of, perhaps be a, a real part of. You're listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host, and we will be right back. Here's a word of reflection from Christ's Cathedral Organist and host of Sounds from the Sanctuary, David Ball. In St. Louis, there used to be these sort of clubs for Eucharistic adoration. It was really people watching the church all night. Each person would take an hour with the Blessed Sacrament exposed. My parents, we, we used to do this a couple times. And so I remember going to St. Gabriel, the Archangel in South St. Louis. It would be one in the morning and you'd knock on the door and the one person who was scheduled for that hour would come out, look through a little peephole, let you in, and then you'd lock your in the church for an hour of stillness and meditation and prayer and whatever. And as a kid, it was interesting. It just introduced the idea of stillness to me at a young age. Catch Sounds from the Sanctuary Saturday nights at 10 on Relevant Radio or find the podcast at OCCatholic.com. You heard Deacon Steve lately? From the very beginning of our country, the Declaration of Independence, we talked about a right to life. The first thing that we have in the preamble, you know, the Declaration of Independence, is we have the right to life. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? One. The most American thing we can do is supporting life. Catch Empowered by the Spirit with Deacon Steve Greco. Sundays at 12 noon, right here on Relevant Radio. And welcome back to Orange County Catholic Radio, coming to you high atop the Tower of Hope in beautiful Garden Grove, California. And today with us is, it's a very special day because we're talking to some people who made a memorial possible that really, I think, is is going to become important to a lot of people who are grieving over COVID loss. And it's this River of Roses, Rose River Memorial, I think is how it's actually said. Is that correct, Julie? The Rose River yeah, Memorial? correct. And it is a visual display here at the Diocese of Orange of a rose for every person who has passed on from COVID in Orange County. There's over 4,000 roses now. And uh, it is a project that has materialized both from our guest we had on the first part of our program, um, and then Marcos, and then um, Julie has been involved with the local particulars and manifestation here. Before we go any further, Julie, I want to thank you very much for taking some time to to spend with us to talk this through, 
because there are so many people that I think are going to benefit from this. Thank you so much for what you've done in putting this together and for coming on our program. Well, thank you so much, uh, Rick, for having me. Um, I just want to thank everybody on behalf of OC Autism and with our group. Um, we also want to make sure we recognize the, the, the a partnership with the Orange County Museum of Arts, who was able to get us more volunteers and community partners in this special project in Orange County. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. How'd this come together? Because I, I know that there was this, this project began kind of over at the Museum of Art. How did it transpire, and, and what has been your experience with it here so far? You know, with the, with the initial partnership with the Museum of Arts was really getting the whole community involved, getting the volunteers, getting the Girl Scouts and these troops to also help make these individual roses. And just the, the typical families in, the, in, the, in Orange County who lost loved ones. And um, as we also got engaged more families from OC Autism who were also personally touched, um, I think that that's kind of what it happened was that the more we learn about this, we also learn that, you know, that COVID didn't just affect someone on the news now. Now it's affecting our neighbors and our coworkers and our own families. So that's kind of why we continue to to do what we do, and we continue to, to um, ask more people to make these roses and, and pay tribute to their families and continue this traveling exhibit. Now, I understand you took a very active role in opening day on this. How did that go? Opening day was um, a very emotional day for all of us. I think, you know, in the process of, of doing this in Orange County, we, we put it together in a month's time, but... It started as just gatherings of friends on, on Zoom to, build, to to make these flowers. But that day, I stood right next to our display, and this wave of emotion just poured over me to realize that these are just not felt roses. Each of these are individual spirits and life and, and loved ones that we can see. And it was very beautiful to be together and to join together in their grief and the healing. But it was also very wonderful to have Bishop and Kevin Van blessing each of these beautiful spirits and soul, and also to have our mayor and um, our police chief come to the event. Now, Marcos Luchens talked a little bit about the sheriff coming because there was a lieutenant that he specifically wanted to memorialize as a way of kind of encapsulating all those who have gone before. What was this like um, for the people that were there? You know, the people that were there were there for JR. So JR is is our our Lieutenant John Reynolds. And in Garden Grove, it's definitely a hometown feel. And um, this is a story I want to share with you. I've been so busy trying to get all the media and making sure the story comes out and orchestrating this event that I forgot to personally call the police chief and you know the, the <laughs> and the city manager and the mayor and but it was funny because it just seems like you know everything happened for a reason i was the, the day before the event i was on main street at case case kitchen having a lunch meeting and all of a sudden i hear clapping in that restaurant and it was you know the police chief of tom you know coming in and a couple of, of his colleagues and, you know, I after I, they had their meal, I came over and I said, Tom, I apologize. I forgot to call you, but are you free tomorrow? We're, we're going to pay a tribute to JR. And he says, Julie, 
we'll be there. And they, they came. And then as I was walking down Main Street, Garden Grove Main Street, and I was just, you know, enjoying the beautiful weather and, you know, God's beauty of nature and, and the wind and the birds, I see, you know, Scott Style walking down, and that's the city uh, manager. And I said, Scott, I know you're, you know, I've been working so long, much with, with Marie Stipe, but are you free tomorrow? And I said, I'm so sorry again. And he says, truly, I'll be there. <laughs> you know, and that's what I will tell you, that that's what Garden Grove is. And Steve Jones to us is a friend first, right, before he's a mayor. Yeah. And I just text Steve and see just a reminder. And, of course, you know, he's not going to forget. But I think, you know, when we're so busy doing this event yeah. because we want to make sure we pay tribute to each individual yeah. and place it beautifully that I forgot to call the key players in the community. But, you know, I think um, everything has its way. I think up above people put us where we need to be. And um, I feel so blessed for having the opportunity and um, to serve the community. Well, and I thing is you're telling this story as if it's um out of the ordinary i think it happens a lot for those of us who who do a lot of uh, projects it is so easy to to get 98% and then you realize the 2% you forgot about is critically important and yet somehow it all comes together it's kind of the magic of the moment but when we yes, are yes. when we're looking at this particular project what's so beautiful about it it was because i've i've heard now you and marcos both describe the opening day and what what happened with it. What I find moving is when I walk past this on my way to the Tower of Hope here on the campus, I'll often see somebody sitting there and they're they're quiet. And it's a place to come to not only grieve, but to be reminded that you're not grieving alone, that there are yes. all these other families and everyone took the time to come together to make this happen, to make this possible. And what's so beautiful about it is how many people have been able to continue to benefit from it. Those who have seen it from afar, those who've gotten online and looked at the pictures or looked at the stories, and those who've been able to actually come in and participate. It seems to have been very moving for many people. I'm sure you know of people who have been who've who have said so to you, true? Yes. I mean I a lot of my friends they the opportunity to stop by the exhibit and the most beautiful picture for me is always the picture of their back gazing and their eyes gazing into the exhibit and just feeling so at peace and I think that that's what has always been so healing for me because you know for for me I one of the the image that that one of the story that we have in the exhibit is a scout leader from from the the Garden Grove area and Tin was actually um, you know he went with his son um, they volunteer for our, our signature Breakfast with Santa event in, in Garden Grove. And this is an event that we do to bring resources for people with disabilities and the minority community and the underserved. And we typically bring out about 4,000 people every year. And um, Tin and or his family and, and the scouts, um, they normally come and volunteer each year. But we lost Tin to COVID. And um, I think that was another thing about it was COVID is starting to hit very close to us. And it's not about someone on the news anymore. It's it's literally our neighbors and 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 our, our community members that are so loved. So um, it, it's to me very personal. Um, even as I have the opportunity to talk to my neighbors, because we live in the street where we have block parties still. And initially, it was you know inviting a couple of my neighbors to make flowers with me. COVID safe, each of us on our own lawn. <laughs> but even in in the months process, Rick, unfortunately, one of my neighbor. 
she lost a coworker, and yeah. then he, then she, then her, or then that coworker's brother also passed away. So they both are also um, the stories that are exhibited in there. And then my uh, my other neighbor, again, as I asked her to participate, she lost her father, who was in a nursing home. So I think for us, Rick, this exhibit really means a lot. It's really the collective loss of, you know, the people down my street, you know, and are in our city, in our county. And we know that this is a national and a global devastation. And um, we want to make sure that, that this exhibit um, goes as far to, to D.C. next year. Yeah. And um, I know we and, and, our, and our friends and somebody has already um, presented to the house. And we're hoping that the first, I think the first Monday of each year um, will, will possibly be proclaimed as National COVID Memorial Day. Wow. So that's um, something that, that this project is beyond Garden Grove. And I know that the Christ Cathedral, all that you do, extends beyond our, our physical borders. And that's why it was so important for me to include the Archdiocese in, in this process as I thought about Orange County and and where I want our, our initial installation for our, our, our neighborhood to be. Wow. For people who would like to have more information on your organization for autism, is there a website that they could go to? Yes. Um, our website is ocautism.org. And, you know, unfortunately, I haven't had much time to update it because um, during COVID, uh, Rick, I, I do a lot of um, crisis calls. Yeah. And so I'm hoping at some point to sit down with my web de- developer and update uh, our, our site to have more resources. But um, there definitely has information about who we are as an organization, what we do in our community, and the direct impact we have. And for those who want to participate in, 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 the, in the memorial to, um, to help make these roses, um, you can also go to the website roseriver.memorial. And that is the full website, again, roseriver.memorial. If you want to financially contribute or to volunteer your time, or if you have an organization, Marcos and I are trying to make each rose for the national loss, which is over half a million. We're hoping that this number does not continue to grow, but our our support needs to grow with the losses that, that we as a nation are experiencing. Wow. Julie, thank you so very much for coming on and and helping us to process this grief that we have through something beautiful like this project of the Rose River Memorial. Let me go ahead and ask our listening audience to continue to pray for those who have had uh, COVID, those who are suffering, those who are grieving, those who are dying, and those who have passed. And as we come together as a community with things like this memorial, we come together before our Lord to ask for his continued guidance and care. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Dear Lord, we ask you please to be with us, helping us to do your will, granting us your peace, helping us to heal and to be healing toward others. Let these kinds of events, such as this memorial, help bring that about in the lives of those who need it most. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. You have been listening to Orange County Catholic Radio. I'm Rick Howick, your host. With me today has been Julie Yep and Marcos Luchens, who have been talking to us about the, the Rose River Memorial. And if you would like to share this podcast with someone else, you can go to OCCatholic.com. And at OCCatholic.com, you can find under the radio tab, 
the tab for OC Catholic, and there you'll be able to find this uh, shortly after it has broadcast to share with someone else. Again, I'm Rick Howick, your host. This has been Orange County Catholic Radio, and we will see you again next week. Here's a word of inspiration from Father Christopher Smith, Rector and Episcopal Vicar of Christ Cathedral and host of the Cathedral Square radio show. We are all familiar with the word grace. Grace is an essential part of our Catholic life. Grace has to do with the movement of God within us. Grace is dynamic. Grace is God taking us somewhere. Grace is God showing us something. Grace is God reminding us of something or revealing something to us or grace is a solution to a problem. Grace is providing us with reassurance, healing us, reconciling us, nourishing us. Grace is God calling us to something. Grace is a gift. It cannot be earned. At the same time, it helps if we are open to receiving it. St. Augustine once said that grace builds upon nature. And what that means is that grace has to do with us. And grace works with what it has to work with. A major part of our spiritual life then is to be open to God's grace. And to let God's grace work within us. In these challenging times, it might be helpful for us to think about grace from the perspective of the spirituality of St. Ignatius of Loyola. This spirituality encourages us to pray for specific graces in specific circumstances of our lives and to pray for the openness to receiving whatever those graces may be. For example, the global coronavirus pandemic could prompt us to pray for the grace of patience as the ever-changing discoveries about the virus and the constantly changing guidelines for stopping its spread can continue to sometimes confuse us and weary us. The economic hardships that so many are experiencing now could invite us to pray for calmness in this time of the unknown. We could also pray for the grace of trusting in God through these hard times. With so many daily routines that are disrupted and families spending more time together, we could pray for the grace of cooperation in households. We could also pray for the grace of wisdom to guide us in our decisions. The recent unrest in the streets of our cities could urge us to pray for the grace of restraint. We can pray for the grace of cautiousness in situations of intense pressure to refrain from responses that will create more harm than the initial provocations. This is a time when the events of the world could provoke feelings of anger, fear, confusion, doubt, and even desperation. At the same time, with God's grace, it could also be a time of patience, calmness, trust in God, cooperation, restraint, cautiousness, wisdom, and even more. What is a specific grace that you might pray for this very day? This is the exact time to open ourselves to receiving grace and let God's grace do its amazing work. For more, go to OCCatholic.com or come find us at the Diocese of Orange Facebook page.